You're listening to Staying in the Game, a Plum Dragon Herbs podcast where we have conversations about mindset and techniques for staying at the top of your game. I'm your host, Janelle Leatherwood. We're excited to have Master Philip Redmond today. He has an incredible martial arts career, and he's going to give us a little background with how he got started into martial arts. Well, to keep it simple, I got interested in 1966, and I was a Marine in Okinawa. Mm-hmm. So I studied uh, from Izu Shimabukuru, who was the grandmaster of Shodenjuru. Uh, I, w- I don't want to say karate because in Okinawa, back then, they would say karate is Japanese and we're Okinawan. But some people will say Shodenjuru karate. So I didn't really study that long, but it piqued my interest. And then I moved back home to New York City. And I didn't live too far from Chinatown, so I got interested in the Chinese martial arts. So in 1970, I started studying a style called Fu Jiao Pai under uh, Wai Hong, Grandmaster Wai Hong. And while I was studying Fu Jiao Pai, I started also studying Wing Chun. So I've had eight different Wing Chun sequels. Uh, four of my sequels were direct students of Grandmaster Yip Man. Uh, the others were students of students of Yipman, and two of my sequels or teachers were um, from lineages outside of Wing Chun. Most people think that Yipman was the grandmaster of all of Wing Chun, which isn't the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, I became a Sifu in 81 under Sifu Henry Liang, and then I heard about William Chung. So uh, two of my Sifus, uh, one named Moyat and the other Duncan Liang, would always tell us one of the best fighters under Yipman was a, a guy named Ah Hing. But none of us knew who Ah Hing was then. Mm-hmm. So in 1983, I saw an ad in Black Thought magazine that a man named William Chung Chuck Hing was doing a two-week seminar in UCLA. Mm-hmm. So I put that Ah Hing together with that, and I said, oh, so that's the guy they were talking about. So I mm-hmm. flew from New York to that two-week seminar in LA and I was so amazed with his Wing Chun. It's so much different from other Wing Chun that people see online on YouTube. We're completely different. We don't do a pigeon toe dance. As a matter of fact, our Wing Chun is so different that some people will say that doesn't look like Wing Chun. Okay. And I understand that because that's what I thought when I first saw him do Wing Chun. Mm-hmm. But I was so impressed with him, I asked him if I could become his student. And he told me, you're already a seafood. You don't need to. Just Think when you do something. Uh, make sure it's practical for fighting application and for modern fighting, because most kung fu is based on the fighting styles of that era. Like Wing Chun was developed what 300, 400 years ago. People fought differently then. But anyway, to make the long story short, I came back to New York after becoming his student and told my students that I'm no longer a sequel. I'm starting on a new system. Oh wow! And I closed the school, yeah. But about four of my students said, no, we're going to stay still, just learn with you. So some of them are still with me now. Wow. And he, this William, um, Master uh, William Chung, he was considered Bruce Lee's master. Is that not right? He's not Bruce's master. Um, in Chinese Kung Fu, the, um, how can I say it? The, there's a familial structure based on Confucianism. Okay. So um, Yip Man is the Sifu. Right, he's the teacher, and if you join the school before another person, you're his senior. Even if you join an hour before, 
So if someone comes in after me, I would call them Sidai, younger brother. He would call me Sihi. So William Chung was Bruce Lee's Sihi, not his teacher. Mm-hmm. But he did help him. Him and Wong Shung Long, another student of Yip Man, helped him train. So he was the one, William Chung was the one who brought Bruce to Yip Man for the first time. And the first time he brought Bruce there, they didn't like him because he was a little cocky. So they told him not to, uh, to take him out. So when he, Sifu talked to Bruce and said, you can't act cocky or you're in the class. So I'll take you back if you act correctly, if you act right. So he took him back and they accepted. Okay. So what, what happened with people thinking, sometimes you may see that uh, William Chung trained him. That doesn't mean he was his Sifu or teacher. What happened was some people found out that Yip Man was one quarter Dutch or German. He wasn't a full Han Chinese. Mm-hmm. So back then, only full-blooded Han Chinese were supposed to learn Kung Fu. So they were jealous of Bruce Lee's progress. So they uh, asked Yip Man to kick him out. But Yip Man really did like Bruce Lee. So he asked Wong Shung Lung and my Sifu William Chung to teach him on the side. Oh, okay. So he wasn't his master. But is it true that he was responsible for introducing Bruce Lee to Wing Chun? Yes, he, he's the one who, William Chung is the one who brought Bruce Lee to Yitman for the first time. Yeah, okay. Yeah. They, they'd known each other since they were young. Yeah. Uh, William Chung's father was the, high, was the highest official a Chinese could attain in the Hong Kong Police Department. Okay. He's like an inspector. Now, no disrespect to your other instructors, but what set apart Grandmaster Chung? I know you kind of touched on it a little bit, but. Oh, there's a bunch of controversy about that. Um, (laughs) Um, Here's one version. Uh, Yip Man learned from Chan Wasun in China. But actually, he learned from a man named Chung So because Chan Wasun was too old to teach. But. If you learn under the umbrella of a school, you're that, uh, uh, that person is your Sifu, even if you mm-hmm. never met him. Mm-hmm. Even if you learn from the seniors, you still can, can claim um, that Sifu is your Sifu. So we'll say that he learned from Chang Soon. But when Yip Man moved to Hong Kong, he met a guy named Liam Bik. Liam Bik was uh, Yip Man's, the son of Yip Man's teachers teacher. So Liang Bik taught Yip Man another version of Wing Chun that was different from what they learned in Fatsan province. So that's the version my Sifu learned. And there's controversy about that too. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Uh, there's always some kind of controversy. Yeah. All yeah. I can say is what all I can say is what he does worked for me when I was full contact sighted. Right, right. Okay. Well, and um, you made his honor list, which for those who don't know, um, means like you went above and beyond normal measures to prove that um, you had contributed an exceptional amount to the traditional Wing Chun Kung Fu for at least 10 years or more. Uh, Since 1983. Yeah. But I mean, in order to be on that list, you have to have done it for at least 10 years. Oh, yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and then, myself, and myself and Master Chief Maza of uh, Mount Laurel, New Jersey, are the only two American students to become 
what they call which is a closed door disciple. We've uh, performed a ceremony called Baisi, where you bow down, you give your people a cup of tea, he drinks it, that means he accepts you on inner circle. So uh, Master Keith Mazza in Mount Laurel in New Jersey and I are the only closed door students of Grandmaster Wing Chun in the, in the U.S. Oh, wow. Actually in North America. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. And while I was in New York City, I also studied Cantonese in college for three years, which helped mm-hmm. me get a, a better understanding of the internal aspects of the Kung Fu. So that helped me a lot. Right. And then I moved. Um, I was teaching in New York, and one of my Kung Fu brothers, whose name is Eric Oram, is Robert Downey Jr.'s Kung Fu teacher. Oh, okay. Him and Robert are very, him and Robert are very close. He, um, Robert even says uh, the Kung Fu and Eric helped him get off drugs. He mm-hmm. openly says this. Uh, and so Eric also does stunt coordination. So whenever Robert does a movie that requires fight choreography, he asks Eric to come with him. So they were filming Iron Man 3 in 2012. And Eric asked me to come to cover his classes in West LA so he wouldn't lose his students. So I was only supposed to be here for three months while they were filming. But I ended up moving by the beach and loved it so much I stayed here, even when Eric got back. So I left one of my students in New York to run the New York classes. And I've been here ever since. That's incredible. And then all of your other training that you've done, I mean, you because you've studied multiple different arts and received like a black belt and jutsu. And, I um, see jujitsu. Yeah. yeah. From, and um, so you have all these um, honors and, and titles. All of that training has helped you to become who you are as a martial artist today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I've um, hanging out in Chinatown all the time. I actually dabbled in a bunch of arts. I can't say I was proficient enough to teach them, but I've dabbled in um, white crane, uh, white eyebrow, uh, bakwa, different types of Chinese martial arts. That it, it really, that's what made me want to learn the Cantonese dialect. Mm-hmm. I was so enamored with it. I was, I loved the Chinese martial arts. So I wanted to know as much as I could. I, uh, Tiger Claw, uh, the Hungar system, I studied with the seafood from the Chinese Freemasons. They call it Hong Mong, Hong Sing. I was a member of that group. So that's what I do. That's what I love. That's so great. Yeah. Well, and here's something else that I read that you had um, started to become an acupuncturist, or at least you'd gone through a couple years of training. And so you. Yes. I ran out of money. (laughs) I, I, I ran out of money. I couldn't continue. And, but that wealth of knowledge, I'm sure, has impacted, you know, the way that you've taught your martial arts like I was reading about um well understanding the Chinese acupuncture and the five element theory for example and how that can apply to maybe different empty hand forms or like how your body needs to focus and how proper breathing can affect your energy and so forth can you kind of explain how the five element theory might impact how somebody trains and the the elements I'll give you an example Say a person is angered a lot. They have a, they have a trouble with anger. That could be a sign of a liver dysfunction. Because mm-hmm. um, the liver is one of the, uh, part of one of your emotions. Like things you could look for for a person, if they have like a greenish tinge to their nails, 
um, they have anger, they have a certain odor. That's what an acupuncturist would look for when treating a person. Uh, people who talk loud, you know, that's certain, certain uh, diagnostic tools an acupuncturist would, would use to find relevant. Certain times of the day, you can strike an organ or strike a certain part of the body and cause more damage than another time. And if you look at my website, there's, um, with our ranking system, to become a master in our system, you have to have at least a basic understanding of Chinese herbs and um, how to treat certain uh, ailments. Because traditionally, a Chinese Kung Fu Sifu was not just a fighter. He would help people with, uh, like, say, for, for instance, bone setting or little minor injuries. Right, right. We were talking about that before we started the podcast portion of this call, just how you're familiar with D. Zhao, which is Plum Dragon's specialty, and that you make your own. And I was mentioning to you how I'd love to send you our product as well. But how has um, D. Zhao played a role in your um, instruction and in your um, martial arts school? Okay. So, T. Zhao. Tita Chow moves the blood. So it gets rid of static blood. So basically a bruise is just uh, like a ruptured blood cell. So uh, the jowl moves the blood. One of the ingredients in the jowl is analgesic. The other ingredients are uh, um, anticoagulants. So you have to move the blood. Right. So that's what jowl is good for. And most Chinese families have some sort of that job formula that they mm. use. Yeah. Well, that's exciting that you're familiar with D.Jow, as are a lot of martial artists. And um, I appreciate you sharing that with us. Something but, else I, I wanted to talk to you about. Um, what are some of like the biggest myths that martial artists maybe buy into when they're trying to improve? Like maybe they think the stronger I am or the smarter I am or the faster I am is, you know, that's what makes me the best martial artist. Would you agree with that? Or what do you, what do you think? No. Okay. No. Um, well, there's so many of them. Let me think of one off the top of my head. You, uh, one of them is just because you do martial arts doesn't make you a great fighter. Mm -hmm. I tell people that, some of the most dangerous people are street fighters because they've actually applied something that they know that has worked for them. Whereas a trained martial artist will fight with a pattern. A street fighter can come from any angle, any way. Plus, they have the heart to fight. So don't think because you do martial arts, you're going to be some kind of fighter. You have to uh, fight if you want to be a fighter. And everyone who does martial arts doesn't want to be a fighter. Some people do it for the culture, for the exercise, and for other reasons other than fighting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I love that because I've talked to a lot of different martial artists who, who, you know, have said the same thing, that there's so much inner strength that you have to have and and a sense of humility, like you have to get your ego out of the way. You have to exactly. be willing to learn and improve. Um, so what are some of like the biggest lessons that you try to teach your students 
to uh, be happy, enjoy life, stay healthy. Mm-hmm. What are some and of your... Who does that for some people. Mm-hmm. Movement. So... I love it for the movement. Mm-hmm. Like I'm 73 now. I'm, I'm not going to be fighting anyone. I just love the activity. I love to do something. I mean, whatever you like to do, if you play tennis, that's good. If you want to swim, that's good. I love martial arts. Right. What are, um, are there any um, health practices that you've kept all your life that you, I mean, other than Kung Fu or um, Wing Chun that have really kept you healthy? Well, the Kung Fu, because I've learned to do uh, abdominal breathing. It's natural to me now. I don't have to think about it. Um, certain uh, ways of moving, certain certain posture ways of moving. So I mean, it's to me, it's a complete thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, all those aspects I could take from the martial arts. Right, right. Who would you say has been one of your biggest mentors or influences influencers oh, in your William life? William Chung. Yeah, Mr. William Chung. He's like a mm-hmm. father figure to me. Mm-hmm. He's an amazing man. I mean, he's He's very knowledgeable. He doesn't just know Kung Fu. He's like any subject you can talk about. He yeah. knows a little something about it. And uh, I, he's the one. Maybe that's why he chose me and Keith to be his uh, closed-door student. Mm-hmm. Well, would you, would you be willing to share maybe something that you perceive as one of your biggest failures in life or one of your biggest successes in life that you've learned from that? One of them, I think, was dropping out of pre-med. Mm. I was a pre-med student at City University. I took a leave of absence and was told not to do that because most people never come back. And I ended up not coming back. So, And what's so funny is that I met a guy at a tournament once and um, I hadn't seen him in years. And he says, Phil, I said, yeah, I remember you from someplace. He said, yeah, we were in the city college, um, city university, city university biomedical program. And I said, Oh, yeah. I said, what are you doing now? He says, um, I'm a doctor now. And I went, oh, my God, that could have been me. <laughs> <laughs> but, that's a, but I got the Kung Fu, so I'm happy. Yeah, yeah. Now, that was in addition to the acupuncture training you did? Yes, that, yes, that, yes. Okay. Actually, that was before. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. That was in 73. Right. I was a 21-year-old freshman in college. Mm-hmm. I, had, I had come from Vietnam, so I was like the oldest guy in my freshman class. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you've felt a huge measure of success and seen like your students progress. Do you have any stories of that that you'd like to share? I've, I don't know if it's 15 or 16 of my students who are seafoods now. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got one female student who became seafood. And I'm That's working great. on another one here in L.A. because I think more women should get into this art. It's a woman's martial art. But mm-hmm. It's dominated by guys. You know? Yeah. So what, um, have, you, have you seen the martial arts change any of your students' lives? Some of them whose names I won't mention mm-hmm. came from pretty rough neighborhoods in Brooklyn. And they were living a kind of a street life and it changed their whole life. Mm, that's so neat. It changed their whole life. So that's a good thing. I'm yeah. happy about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it, it not only teaches them a sense of self-defense, but it's just a whole different 
way of being and how to handle the stresses and pressures of life as well. Actually, it helped me too because I come from Marine Corps boot camp, which teaches you to be rough and tough. And then after Vietnam and then coming back, the Kung Fu kind of calmed me down. Mm-hmm. The, the theme of our podcast is staying in the game. So anything that you like want to share with people, like how to help them stay motivated or some of the key points that have helped you in your life? Well, oh, should add, I'm also a musician. I used to be anyway. Mm-hmm. So the music and the Kung Fu together. I actually kind of gave up music for the Kung Fu. I used to play trumpet and salsa groups back in New York. So I've been playing trumpet since I was eight years old. Mm-hmm. So uh, once I had a choice between uh, pawning my trumpet for Kung Fu lessons or not pawning it. So I actually pawned my trumpet to pay for Kung Fu lessons. Oh, wow. And I never got it, never got to get it out. (sighs) I mean, I eventually bought another trumpet years Mm -hmm. later, but that was the decision decision I made, uh, music or kung fu. Wow. Well, they both have rhythm. Yeah, exactly. And you have to use the whole brain. You know, I've taught a little bit of music and studied it a bit myself. So it's, you know, they are interconnected, the two. Exactly. So much so. Yeah. Just like uh, if the wooden dummy form, for example. Some people do the wooden dummy form and return by the rote. They just do that, 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 that. But there's a rhythm to the dummy. Mm-hmm. Because the techniques are individual techniques and they have to have a rhythm to them. Just like playing congas or any other instrument. Right. You have right. to have a rhythm and a beat. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I want to talk about another form um, the sticking hands. You can say, in Chinese for me. Qi Sao. Yeah. Okay. So Qi Sao starts out with two people touching forearms together mm-hmm. and they do a rotation and you're trying to see or feel the person's energy. Are mm-hmm. they pushing down? Are they pushing left, right? You're trying to also feel for openings. If you can okay. feel an opening, you exploit the opening. Mm-hmm. Okay. The issue with Qi Sao is some Wing Chun people think it's actual fighting. So it's okay. got its good points, and it's some people look at it as competitive. Mm-hmm. So normally, I don't do Qi Sao with people I don't know, because you have to trust your partner. I'd rather tell the guy, let's put on some gloves and spar than mm-hmm. to do Qi Sao with a stranger. You have to do it with someone you trust, because it's only an exercise. Okay. And you have a lot of um, training videos on your website that people can look at. So even if they don't live near you, you're in, tell people where you are and how they can get in touch with you. Okay. Well, I, I live in Redondo Beach, California. Mm-hmm. My website is wingchunkun.com. But that's a lot to type. So all you have to do is type W-C-K-W-O-O-N.com. Mm-hmm. If that's too much. KungFuGuy.com will take you to my website. I also have two YouTube channels. One is Sifu Redman, and the other one is um, WC Kuhn, K-W-O-O-N. Kuhn is Cantonese for school, but actually it's a bad romanization. It should be Kuhn with a G. But since most Westerners say Kuhn, I I decided to go with K-W-O-O-N, Kuhn. Okay. And I'll make sure that there's a link to that when I post the podcast. So we'll 
be able to direct people to you for any questions or just to get more insight from your videos and training. But it was great having you on our show today. Thank you so much for coming on our show and talking to us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You're very welcome. Okay. Have a good rest of your day. And thanks to all of our listeners for joining us today. For show notes and more great tips, be sure to visit us at plumdragonherbs.com. And if you like this episode, we'd love for you to share, comment, and follow us or subscribe wherever you like to listen. 